don't seem hesitant to clap. You can clap. Well, there was this tour bus driver, and he was driving down the road, and the bus was full of senior citizens. And uh, as he was driving down the road, he was suddenly tapped on his shoulder, and a little old lady who was right behind him offered him a fistful of peanuts. And uh, he gladly accepted them and was munching on them. About five minutes later, uh, again, he noticed a tap on the shoulder. It was the same little old lady. She offered him uh, some more peanuts. And uh, he gladly accepted them. And this went on for a couple more times. And finally, he said to the little old lady, he said, well, why don't you eat the peanuts yourself? And she said, I can't chew them. I don't have any teeth. And this kind of puzzled the bus driver. And he said, well, why in the world do you buy the peanuts in the first place? And she said, because I just love to suck on the chocolate. <laughs> oh, you guys. Guys, you got to be a little quicker than that if you're going to keep up with me this morning. Well, life is full of surprises, isn't it? And as we're going to see and talk about, we're going to be seeing quite a few surprises coming up in this world. I didn't say good surprises, but surprises nonetheless. And so to help us deal with the surprises that we're going to begin to be dealing with, we're going to start a new series on the book of Revelation. I don't think there is more relevant book than that for this time. I do ask that you would listen very carefully to what I say this morning. Um, I don't think there's probably any more important message that I've preached than this one right here. I have not come to this very easily at all, so I want you to understand that also. So please, trust me, there's been much prayer to this. I, I really need you to listen to the totality. Don't get upset. Don't just march out. Listen to it. I really believe that this is the word of the Lord for this hour. So I've entitled the message this morning, It Has Started. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share what you've been laying on my heart for a long, long time. And now, Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a powerful way. And that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And that, Holy Spirit, you would come. Just take complete control of this place, I ask. Fill me up. Fill me up from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. May your word come forth in power. Amen. Skip play. Certainly fascinates some, terrifies others, and most people are confused by it. So the obvious question is why even look at it? Why even study it? And the answer lies in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Skip, can you put that up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles? If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, we're told this. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. John gives us three participles. The first one is singular. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. That is a reference to me. That is a reference to the head elder of the church. One of the reasons why the early church met every day is because, see, they didn't have the privilege of this. Did you know that? They didn't have a Bible. The Bible, in fact, the New Testament was being written, and so they would come, and they would want to hear the word of God, and they would want to hear it expounded. 
And so what John is saying is, blessed is the senior pastor, the head elder, who has the belief, the faith, the belief that this is the inspired word of God, that this book is inspired and would expound upon it. So I'll take that. Now the next participles are plural. And blessed are those, that's you, who hear it and heed it, or take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. So John is saying, you're blessed. You're blessed by hearing it, listening to the series, hearing it expounded, and then taking the word seriously and applying it to your lives. There's a blessing for you. Do you realize how few people in America have ever heard a series on the book of Revelation? Do you realize that almost no pastor of any size church would touch this book with a 10-foot pole? 95% of American Christians have never heard a series on Revelation, at least in their church. Because, you see, it would disturb you. It might make you fearful. It might even convict you. And God forbid we wouldn't want that because you go down to the first church of the warm fuzzies down the street. But there is a blessing for the one reading it and the blessing for the one hearing it and obeying it. You will receive the favor of God, and I think we all want that. So that should be reason enough alone to study the book of Revelation. But there is a second reason we should study the book of Revelation. And John says, because the time is near. Now, we need to understand something when he says that the time is near. The end time started, by the way, when Jesus ascended up to heaven. We tend to think of that as the church age. But the reality is the end times, biblically speaking, started with the ascension. So for the last 2,000 years, we've been in the end times. The question is, are we in the end of the end times? I believe the answer to that question is yes. And... I believe, therefore, that makes this book of Revelation very relevant for our times. Because the book of Revelation, as we go through it, we're going to see why I believe we are in the end of the end times. And secondly, the book of Revelation will help us to understand how we can prepare, how we can be a vibrant witness during these times that are going to be happening. So that is the second reason, really, why we ought to be really studying and looking at the book of Revelation. However, I believe that we are facing a short-term crisis. That crisis is the judgment of America. I believe that America is under judgment right now. And no doubt many of you are saying, well, how do you know this? How can you be certain that America is under judgment right now? And that is a fair question to ask, so let me explain it this way. On September 11, 2001, the United States, its mainland, was attacked for the first time since the War of 1812. Skip, can you put up that picture? Most of us can probably never forget the images that we see, what happened in New York City on 9-11. They're forever etched in our minds. And I remember the day that it happened, and I'm sure that you can too. And I wasn't sure at first what to think about it. I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't think a lot about it. Now, since time has passed, and prophecy, by the way, becomes clearer after time passes, all has become very, very clear to me. And that's really the heart of the message that I want to share with you this morning. I pray that you will listen to what I have to say. I'm sure it will offend some. 
but I'm asking you to really listen to what I'm going to say here. September 12th, 2001, the Senate Majority Leader, Tom Daschle, Skip, you can put up his picture, he spoke on Capitol Hill, and he was giving a message to the American people who were in shock. And in that message, and you can see it, by the way, on YouTube, and in that message, he quotes the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, who lived 2,700 years ago. And here's what he quoted. He quoted a very obscure passage, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. Skip, can you put that up? The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Now, he was giving and speaking this to the American people. He was believing he was giving us encouragement and hope. The only problem is, if you're a student of the Bible, you realize that this is not a passage of hope and encouragement. In fact, it is a braggadocious. It's a a passage of arrogance. You see, the northern kingdom, Israel, had been attacked by Assyria. They shouldn't have been, but they were because they were deep in sin and rebellion against God and idolatry. He sends the Assyrians. He warns them. It's a harbinger. But they respond back to him. So what, God? We'll do it. We'll rebuild with bigger bricks, bigger trees. We're going to rebuild this thing on our own. So they responded back to arrogance. Now listen to me. Because remember, God spoke through Balaam's donkey so he could use anybody. Even me. Even me. But I believe he used Tom Daschle on September 12th, the Senate Majority League. I believe he was speaking right through Tom Daschle, and he was saying to the American people, warning, you're leaving your moorings, you're leaving the Abrahamic covenant, you're leaving your very Judeo-Christian ethic and foundation. Turn back. That's what was happening, and the American people sadly responded just the way the Israelites responded. We responded in arrogance and in pride. And God said, okay. And seven years later, 2008, on September 29th, 2008, the New York Stock Exchange, remember, seven years later, September, to the month, September 29th, 2008, the stock market fell 777.7.7% of its value, the most that it's ever done. Now, does anybody know what the number seven stands for? Skip, can you put up the headline? I don't know if you have the headline. I don't remember. But there were headlines all over the papers about how the stock market fell 777.7 points. What does the number seven represent in the Bible? God, it's God's number. I mean, God is, you know, you you, you can't miss the irony of this thing. God is now screaming at the American public. I did this. I did it at 2001, 9-11. I'm doing it again. It's my fingerprint. Don't miss what I'm doing here. And we didn't really listen to him that either. And one month later, I know I'm going to step on some toes here, but one month later, we came under judgment You say, what happened one month later on November 4th, 2008, America elected this man. Skip put up his picture. Barack Obama became the 44th president of the United States. Now, I am a political atheist, so please do not get upset. I'm not Republican and I am not Democrat. I was a political science major 
I've told you time and time again, salvation will not come through Washington. And if you know anything about politics, to get as high as the Senate or the United States, you're bought and paid for by special interests. But you ought to know by now. I hope we understand. No man is going to bring salvation and solve the problems of this country. And I wish we would believe that. So I'm a political atheist. But Barack Obama claimed to be a Christian, which really puts him in a bad spot. And trust me, I've studied and I've studied his stuff. Barack Obama says that he's a Christian. Now, I've said it before. You know, just because I stand in a garage and I go vroom, vroom, that doesn't make me a Maserati. It's just because someone says Jesus. Cannot go. You don't understand. There's a spirit of delusion coming on the country here. And just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean squat. Or they're a Christian. It, content matters. Ask them what they actually believe about Jesus and the gospel. Content matters. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father. You know, people are telling me behavior doesn't matter. Behavior does matter. If you're a Christian, Jesus says, act like a Christian. I expect my followers to follow me and look like me. Behavior does matter despite what people are saying in the pulpits and in America. If you're truly a born-again Christian, you'll begin to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the election of Barack Obama, though, in 2008, judgment came on America. And you say, I want proof. I'll give you proof. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 1. And now it's going to get really, really, some of you might get angry. But listen to this, because this is the word of God. So don't shoot the messenger, all right? But it says this. Now watch this. The wrath of God... That is, the judgment of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what they may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Do you realize that there's no such thing as an atheist? You know, they'll, they'll tell you that. I, in fact, it was out yesterday. We were doing the Jesus Soda Survey witnessing. And a guy told me that he was an atheist. And I said, you're not an atheist. He said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm an atheist. I said, no, you're not. And then I quoted to him. This is why it matters. The word of God is powerful. I quoted to him Romans 1.18. I said, you know what? You're actively suppressing the truth. I said, you must really fight at this. You're kicking against the guns. I said, you know deep down in your heart of hearts that there really is a God. That there really is a living God? I said, do you really think you're going to go six feet under and that's it? He said, well, maybe not. He did. So it was right there. And then I witnessed to him. See, that's how powerful the truth is. We're suppressing the truth. We know the truth deep down. God has planted it. It is. Every one of us knows there's a God and that we're going to be accountable. But if you suppress it and you suppress it long enough, especially as a country... Watch this now. I mean, this is a fascinating portion of Scripture. I jump down to verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over. Oh, that's powerful in the Greek. He said he turns them over to their shameful lust. Now watch this. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. We here in the West hate that. We say, oh, God only spoke about against homosexuality in the Old Testament. That is not true. It's very clearly here in the book of Romans, by the way. That's the New Testament. And please understand what God is saying here. When a culture, when an empire, when a nation embraces homosexuality, it shows that they're under the judgment of God. He's turned them over. He's turned them over to their lust and their passion. And we will eat ourselves up. We will devour ourselves and our passions and our lusts. Now, here's what's even more interesting. I did a lot of studying on this. Susan knows why I was gone. Because I know it's a controversial passage. I even tried it out on my sister, who's a lawyer, way left, okay? We got into this. I said, you know what's really intriguing about that passage? It's Paul goes, women were in lust with women, inflamed with women, and then men with men. The order is significant. Because you know why it's interesting about that? Nowhere in ancient culture was lesbianism ever found or encouraged. You know, Greece, I mean, Greece was just immoral. And they had men with men and men with young men, and they said it's okay. They said it's fine. But they never had, and nor did they encourage or allow women to be with women. Did you know that? Rome, just for the record, Rome actually never said homosexuality was right. Cato said, in fact, it was wrong. They did tolerate men with men and men with young men. Never women with women. See, men are always the immoral ones. Women have always been, this is true. Women have been the virtuous ones. So, no, this is bizarre. It's almost as if Paul is being prophetic here. Do you know? No, this is true. We are the first culture. We are the first culture ever since the fall of man to actually embrace lesbianism and say it's fine and encourage women to be with women and men to be with men. In fact, Barack Obama is the first president to encourage it and say it's right and it's okay. You can check it up for yourself. Do you know that Sodom and Gomorrah no, Sodom and Gomorrah, we, I mean, they, 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 they are the picture, the poster child for immorality. Read the story. It was only men with men. It was only men who were the immoral ones. It wasn't women out there running around the street. It was just the men. Do you realize how degenerate? No, there's been never a more degenerate nation or culture than us. We're there. You're looking at a country just on the verge of implosion. There's never been a worse country than us. God has turned us over. And then the Hebrew prophet Isaiah said, 2,700 years ago, he spoke these words in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7. Oh, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and that good is evil, that dark is light. And light is dark, that bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. And now, you and I find ourselves in a country that is doing just that. Delusion is sweeping across this country. There is a spirit of delusion 
speaking, sweeping across this country. I'm not even going to get into abortion, but I can't tell you enough how perverted can you get? How immoral can you get when you encourage women to kill children that are in the room to the tune of one to two million a year? When a government does that, when a culture does that, let me tell you something you're about to devour yourself. In 2008, God turned America over to our own lusts and our passions. I think I've proven that point. And I am convinced seven years later, God's given the pattern, not me, that in 2015, in September, maybe even before that, I am absolutely convinced by heart of hearts that America will face final economic collapse and judgment. And I believe this will lead to global economic collapse. You know, it is interesting to note, as I close out, because I do want Jeff to get up here. It's interesting to note about the blood moon. Skip, can you put up that last chart? You know, we talked about Tetrad f- about five months ago. Something interesting has started to happen in the skies. It's very rare. Tetrad is where you have four total lunar eclipses, which create a blood moon effect. It has to happen in a two-year period at six-month intervals. And so a tetrad is rare. A tetrad where you have the blood moon occurring on Passover, which is the first Jewish feast, which is prophetic of the Messiah's first coming. And then you have a tetrad or a full lunar eclipse, a blood moon on uh, tabernacles, which is the last Jewish feast, which is prophetic of the Messiah's second coming and the institution of the millennial kingdom. It's almost virtually, I mean, it's beyond calculation, by the way, to have this be happening in the skies. This began to happen in earnest, by the way. This happened in 3233 AD, by the way, when Jesus Christ was crucified, interestingly enough. And you know when it started again? 1948, 1945 was the first set of tetrads. A tetrad, and that's when Israel became a nation. And then in 1967, 68 was the second tetrad. And that occurred during the Six Day War, and the Jewish people got Jerusalem back. Now you're going to see the next set of tetrad. Four blood moons, 2014, 2015. Hear me now. There will not be another set of tetrad for another 500 years. The moon speaks, by the way, to the Jewish people. That's how their feasts are based upon. So they look at the moon. God is speaking to the Jewish people. There will not be, I want to say it again, another tetrad, another set of blood moons for another 500 years. This is the last one. And this is going to occur. We've already had one occur on April 15th. Here's what I find interesting. The final one will occur on September 28th, 2015, right when the harbinger says. Can you believe that? Do you believe in coincidences? And by the way, that's going to be a super blood moon. The moon's going to appear as large as it can appear. It's going to be blood red. And this one is going to appear over the nation of Israel. On that night, the Jewish people will see that. And you say, what does all this mean? I'll tell you what, I am absolutely convinced. Of, I am absolutely convinced that America is not only under judgment, but final economic judgment will occur 
in 2015, and maybe the final blow in September. I also believe, though, that God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to do something significant. Now, I can't absolutely prove this. So it's on tape. So don't someone come running up to me and say, I said this for certain. But I believe what this means is that God is preparing Israel for her Messiah. And so what I think is going to happen is that there's going to be a major economic collapse in America leading to a world economic collapse, which leads to the rise of what the Bible calls the Antichrist. And Israel will shortly thereafter enter what we call the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. That's what the book of Revelation is about, by the way. The book of Revelation is about Daniel's 70th week, the last seven-year period where Satan and the Antichrist have their rule. But when you look at the book of Revelation, don't think that it's just about end times. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you're going to get a better picture of Jesus than you've ever gotten before. You're going to get an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but you see you're going to get what the church ought to look like. Jesus is going to tell us what the church really ought to look like. We're going to be looking at that. He shows us what true worship is. We're going to look at what real spiritual warfare is about. All this is contained in the book of Revelation. He's going to tell us what's going to happen with angels, with us, what's going to happen in eternity. This is all contained in the book of Revelation. This is what we're going to be studying. So I've told you what we're going to study and why, and Jeff will tell you the how now. He is the challenge for this morning. Can you hear a pin drop? You know, Frank shared, time is near. Frank isn't alone in that belief. We as the elders of BCC are utterly convinced in our hearts that this is where we are. Now, we can be afraid, we can be scared, we can run into the hills. That's not what the Lord calls us to do. He calls us to be faithful witnesses of His in the time in which we live. Now, I've shared a lot of folks. I don't know what's going to occur first Jesus coming to see me or me going to see Jesus. But that can happen this very day. And am I prepared to stand before the Lord? And the truth is, is that we cannot be prepared by just simply sitting with the Bible and studying the Word. Should we be doing that? Yes. But we are called into relationship one with another. God in His very existence as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the perfect example of fellowship. And that's what He designed us for, is to be in that relationship. We have called forth out of this body to be connected. I shared with you last Sunday just what was placed upon my heart, that we don't just simply walk in and say, good to see you, brother, and give each other a hug or a handshake and walk out with no hope. We are called into relationship and the challenge this morning is that we engage that in a real, true, and dynamic way. Next Sunday is our ministry Sunday. It's going to be unlike any ministry Sunday that we've had before because it's not just simply about 
hey, sign up for this small group, go to this Bible study. We are bringing together a new understanding of where we're going and what we are called to do. We have wonderful Bible studies. We have wonderful teachers. We have wonderful men and women of God who are sharing in their small groups, their Bible studies, and that's going to continue. What we as the elders have committed to is that we are going to bring together Acts 2. I just wanted to share this with you. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to one another as had been as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's the remarkable thing. This is the outcome of that meeting together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We are called to be vibrant witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And starting next week, the elders are going to be taking on what we refer to as Antioch groups. Antioch was that first church. And we are committing to one another, to walk alongside of one another, as my brother Steve Rebay says, to adopt each other in a powerful and meaningful way. And in these Antioch communities, we are going to be going deep with the purpose of recognizing that we are called to be the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the places that we work, in the communities that the Lord has served us in recognition and with the urgency of knowing the times in which we live. And so we're going to ask those who are all in to join us in those groups. And we want you to stay connected. We are going to be going through and taking the word of God that's presented here on Sunday. And we are going to bring it to a place of application. And then the men are going to be meeting with men and women meeting with women in core groups of discipleship. With a recognition that Jesus had the perfect example. He preached to the multitudes. And then he got smaller and smaller. And it was with the twelve and then with the three. I think Jesus is a pretty good teacher. I think he gives a pretty good model. And I think that's exactly where we should be going. So we are going to be challenging one another in a way that says, let's go deep together. So that's what the Antioch communities are going to be about. In the, uh, in the folder that you were given, or the trifold here that you were given... We've got a vision. This is a vision of discipleship and a vision of the church, which is to know God, enjoy God, to make him known and to glorify him by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, that's a command, right, to go and make disciples. And on the opposite side, 
You see the visual of love God, love others, and make disciples. That's what's referred to as the irreducible core. We take the entirety of the word of God. And what do we come down to? We come down to the great commandment, love God, love others, and the great commission, make disciples. How do we do that? We're going to walk through that. That's what we are to do, one with another. We are challenging and we are growing. We aren't walking out thinking that, well, we have a little bit more knowledge and that's what's going to be what we need. You know, as Frank shared, and this has just been tremendously on all of our hearts as elders, that there is a spirit of delusion, not just in the nation, people, there's a spirit of delusion in the church. And we need to recognize that. And we need to stand firm. Because as we get into Revelation, we see there's a multitude, there's a falling away. It's talking about us. How do we not fall away? By standing firm in the word of God, in the truth, in the hard stuff, together. And we walk our lives out step by step, one with another. That's what we're called to. That's the Christian life. And so that's the challenge this morning, is be prayerful. Dig into the Word of God. Dig into His grace, the power of His grace this week. Open your hearts to what He has to share. Then come prepared to join us. If that's where the Lord is leading you, and be a part of an Antioch community. Be a part of a small group, a Bible study. As I shared before, the women are doing some amazing things here. And they are joining us. They are right alongside of where we as the elders are. Everything is coming together in this church in an amazing way. The youth group is also going to be following along tracking with revelation. So for the first time in my understanding in the church, what we are hearing here and what our kids are hearing next door is what we can talk about at the dinner table. And then the responsibility that we have as parents, as grandparents, to disciple our children comes alive. Again, we are called to be witnesses in our homes first, in the neighborhoods where the Lord has us. I can't tell you how excited I am about what the Lord is doing here. So we just want you to be a part of that. So as Jen, the team comes up. Yep. Oh, right. Well, that's a good thing. So as Jen comes up, we will we'll pray. Father God, it has come before you this morning, Lord. We know that the message isn't necessarily easy. Lord, we know that the message may, in fact, cause us to shudder. But Father, I just ask that hearts would be stilled, that truth would be implanted, and Father, your perfect peace would just fall upon each one of your children right now. 
Lord, I just ask that the word of truth go forth and be planted in good, fertile soil. Father, I just ask that you move amongst your people. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way even right now, Lord, that hearts would just turn to you, that hearts would just be continuing to strive for a deep, deep relationship with you. Father, let walls fall and let your people stand and say, I am all in with Jesus. Father, the visual of you coming before the disciples, drop your nets. Father, may your people right now drop their nets. And may we as a body come together, Lord, and glorify you for the love that we have for one another. You told us that the world will know that you, that we are your disciples by the way in which we love one another. Let us truly love one another as we walk together in your perfect peace. Lord, we just praise you for you have given us the word of truth. You have given us the Holy Spirit to convict us and what a wonderful gift conviction is. Move right now. We just praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's a great book of hope. Because you know what the book says in the end? Jesus wins. And so I want you to know there's great hope. I pray you really think about what was said today. Spirit to really search your heart. I pray you'll join us and bring others into this because I believe we're going to have a very difficult time, but yet, even though it's dark, that's when light can shine the, shine the brightest. I think we're going to have more opportunity than ever to be a vibrant witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And again, I ask that He would give you and me in this church courage in our hearts to stand for him. God bless you all. Take care. We do need to lift up the chairs, too. Thank you.